under your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. Oh, welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Is it only Tuesday? Oh, no. So this is what friends are for, and what better than the first member of the Joey Clark Hall of Fame, the Joey Clark Radio Hour Hall of Fame. You're not in my personal Hall of Fame, though. You're getting there. <laughs> Southern Wood, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Joey, how are you tonight? I'm sore. I, did, I heard you talking about that in the break. But I asked for it. Because I How did you get sore, man? I'm keeping up the schedule. I'm going two, sometimes three days a week, hitting it hard at Express Fitness 24-7. I'm going to the location over off Zelda Road at, what is it, the Festival, Hillwood Festival Shopping Center. It's where Firehouse Subs is and Lazona Rosa is. Yeah. And they've got, you know, two separate facilities right there in that shopping center. And uh, I was hitting it hard, did full body workout, and I asked for it. But soreness is part of the process. But I'm loving it. I do feel better in the long run. I feel like I have more energy for other things. And I usually leave other people sore if they haven't worked out in a while. <laughs> and so you've got no excuses over there because you can't say, oh, man, I work late. They're closed. Yeah, I don't have the time. <laughs> but that was the number one selling point to me. Yeah. Is I, was, I did, to be honest, look at other gyms, other options for working out. And that's why I love the DDP Yoga, DDPY I've been doing because I can do that anywhere at my house off my smartphone. But I needed to start you know, picking up and putting down some weights. I was at that point. And Express Fitness 24-7, it's right in the name. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. As soon as you become a member, you get a key fob, and you can go whenever you like. Now, they do have 24-7 surveillance to make sure, you know, anything bad happens, they're watching. But they have state-of-the-art equipment. I've never wanted for more equipment or had to wait. There's always plenty of equipment available, whether it's power racks, brother, brother, so you do your squats or your... You know, bench press or whatever you're doing. I'm doing incline bench press and squats and deadlifts, a lot of those compound lifts, along with, you know, some of that toning work and cardio work. Love the row machine. I'll usually start with a thousand meter row on the row machine to get going and get the heart rate up. So I'm loving it and starting to become more and more of a habit. You start building these habits. You start building good, healthy loops. We've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. Addictions can sometimes get you down. So what are you choosing to be addicted to? Part of what I'm trying to choose to be addicted to is changing my body, making sure my body is healthy, and it makes my mind sharper. It's not just a physical test, it's a mental test. And another great thing about Express Fitness is that when you sign up, you might feel like, I haven't done this in years. Fish out of water sort of thing. They give free initial personal training. Now, it's not forever, but they will ask you, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? And they'll help you out and set you on the right path. Maybe you're just trying to do a little more cardio. Maybe you're trying to do some of the bigger lifts like I'm doing. It's whatever you're trying to accomplish, they'll help you meet those goals. And you don't have to go to the Zelda Road location where I go, but you can. There's also a location in Prattville, Millbrook, Wetumpka, Clanton, Pine Level. Again, 
and this is another great thing, no contracts. It's month to month. I got stuck in a year-long one when I was in college. Mm-hmm. A terrible mistake. I've heard terrible. that story a million times. A terrible mistake. So, again, no contracts, but state-of-the-art equipment, 24-7, whenever you want to go in. Check out Express Fitness 24-7. You can go to expressfitness24.com, and you can learn a lot more what particular location is best for you. Again, that website, expressfitness24.com. So that's why I'm sore. And a little tired, but I asked for it, and this is just part of me trying to get better, create good loops in my life. But a story that I just read 15 minutes ago, before I came on air here, reminded me of a memory, a really good memory. Mm -hmm. It was my senior year at Auburn University. I'm living at this place, what was it called? Magnolia Woods, which was like three, four blocks from Toomer's Corner. We're watching the national championship game. The year where we had Cam Newton, and it seemed inevitable. It was like watching a superhero movie. You know that he's going to win in the end. Even that Iron Bowl that year, my Bammer friend who went to the University of Alabama said, yeah, we're up on you guys, but he sent me a picture of the horizon at the sunset. It was orange and blue. So he knew. He knew what was coming. Anyway, we win the game. And it's people are pouring out of our apartment complex. All the apartment complexes on the walk to Tumor's Corner. I get to Tumor's Corner, and this is what the story I read 15 minutes ago reminded me of. This small Korean lady. I'm assuming she was Korean. I mean, I'm not that... I don't have that keen of an eye to go Japanese, Chinese... Korean, Filipino. Maybe if I really had a gun to my head, I could figure it out. But anyway, I think it was this small, petite Korean woman just grabbed me in the midst of this celebratory mob of people, this throng of happy folks, Auburn fans. We've won the national championship. That barely ever happens. And she kissed me. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Went on later that night, watched some Beatles cover band, Got me, I'm pretty drunk, but I was walking. It was all good fun. People rolling the trees. It was a lot of fun. And not once in my life, not at the moment I was kissed by that Korean lady, not thinking back on it, not even today, did I ever feel like I was assaulted. Mm -hmm. So this brings me to the story I read 15 you were just minutes ago. Celebrating, yeah. There's something in the moment, and you're just celebrating. And there's something about it when there's a lot of people celebrating. And that was it. Was excuse me, pardon me. I know how big football is in this state, but it was a football game. I what? It was my senior year. There's a reason to celebrate, but it was at the end of the day a game. You know, games are very important. Football is very meaningful. Gives us something to do. Gives us something to organize around. It get, I'm not knocking sport. I love sport. Yeah. But imagine if it's a great victory and it's what sport, especially football, is meant to simulate. Imagine it's the end of World War II. And really, football is a sport built out of that mentality. Right. Baseball, George Carlin does a great bit on this. Mm-hmm. Baseball yeah, really is that it. pastoral game where World War II is kind of ushered in this era of what we know as football, American football. And I'm not going to do the whole Carlin bit. But imagine it's the actual war, and the war is over, 
and you hear there's been unconditional surrender, and you're around thousands of people celebrating, but celebrating at a level I can't even imagine. I can there's a you know a little bit of a similarity. Oh, we won the national championship. No, we just defeated and it our be, enemies. And it would war. be so much bigger, right? And that leads to that famous photograph, right, of the sailor with kissing the, lady. the nurse. Yeah. And there's a statue in Sarasota, Florida, called Unconditional Surrender. That's 26 feet tall. It's right there on what Marina, Sarasota Bayfront near Marina Jack. Well, less than 24 hours after that World War II vet died, his name is George Mendoza. Did not know that. Mendoza or Mendoza? Maybe I'm saying it wrong. I'm sorry, George. Rest in peace. Less than 24 hours after he died, he died, I believe, yesterday. Somebody vandalized that statue. That is an exact depiction of what's in that photograph. And they vand- and nobody likes a vandal. But they vandalized it in red spray paint. Hashtag me too. That's freaking ridiculous. Now, I'm going to give credit to uh, my good friend Sean Malone, who I've had on the show before. And I want to read what he had to say. His commentary on this. I'm a little tired tonight. I'm a little sore. So, uh, Sean's a brilliant man. I want to read some of his words here. He says, Vandals suck. Yes, yes, they do, Sean. But also, this image is an iconic moment of celebration that some people apparently believe depicts sexual assault. Greta Friedman, the woman in the photo, certainly did not consent to being kissed. George Mendonza, who just died, was also perfectly upfront that she did not know him. But the context of that event is unique and relevant. The announcement that World War II had officially ended had just been made, and people from all over flooded into the streets. Much this is why I brought up my Auburn story. Yeah. Friedman, the woman, recounted the event this way, quote, And so suddenly I was grabbed by a sailor, and it wasn't that much of a kiss. It was more of a jubilant act that he didn't have to go back. And I found out later he was so happy that he did not have to go back to the Pacific where he had, they'd already been through the war. And the reason he grabbed someone dressed like a nurse was that he just felt very grateful to nurses who took care of the wounded. She didn't know who he was. Greta didn't know George and did not think much about the event for many years until people started digging into who were the people in the photograph actually were. Eventually, she met George again in 1980 and maintained a friendly relationship with him and his wife, who, oddly enough, is actually also in the iconic photo as she was George's date to Radio City that day. (laughs) They were friends until she died. Greta died. The kiss itself wasn't really romantic or wasn't even sexual, but rather more of just part of a moment of collective relief. This specific kiss was also far from the only one that happened in that moment. Hell, Southern Wood, if we'd just been off the war, I would have kissed you. Yeah. It seems that everyone was expressing this kind of joyful enthusiasm for the good news. So it brings up an interesting topic of conversation. The vandals that wrote hashtag me too on this statue 
That means either somebody is just pulling trolling. It's like, oh, let's throw this on there. Or they're putting a very brief moment of lighthearted joy in the midst of hundreds of other strangers also hugging and kissing and shaking hands and just generally expressing a communal sense of happiness after years of misery and bad news. They're putting that, that iconic photo of a sailor kissing a nurse at the end of World War II, in the same category as Harvey Weinstein. It's it's just ridiculous how it's ridiculous how brainwashed people allow themselves to become because it's not a it's not a controlling type of type of brain. It's not like somebody's being kidnapped and you're putting them in a room and you're feeding them propaganda twenty four seven and you're you know physically attend. People are willingly brainwashed now. Yes, that oh, guy kisses a girl. That's that's sexual assault. And then against her will. And but here's the thing: neither party it, saw it as. Did she ever say it was against her will? No, she didn't say it was. Uh, she didn't ever describe it as an assault. She said, "I didn't know the guy." But it's kind of like me describing the Korean woman right after the Auburn victory. Right. I didn't know her, and she grabbed me and kissed me. But it was like it was not wasn't like with my consent but it also wasn't like after the fact against my will like how dare you it was more like yeah woohoo yeah, i mean and it's just what either somebody is seriously that much of an ideologue and they're thinking in such a black and white manner it's either right or wrong or they're pulling a just a distasteful prank but for this to happen 24 hours after the man depicted in the statue, depicted in that famous photo, dies, a World War II veteran. And you know me, I'm not big on war. I think we've fought a lot of unnecessary wars, but sure, there's a reason we remember World War II. I mean, I was just listening to a discussion online, a debate online this past weekend, saying history, if we're writing history 100 years from now, I think even at this point in 2019, we're still in the post-World War II era. We're still figuring out things and the consequences of that massive war. And this has always been this iconic moment of celebration. It's an iconic moment of it's over. And that is like, that's a celebration for the entire country, you know, it's the men are back. I mean, that's women didn't fight physically fight in World War II. You had your war nurses and and those, sure, but the men were finally coming home, and it was a large percentage of the population that was over fighting, especially the you know eighteen to thirty year olds in the population. You're gone from home, and this cat. Is fixing to have to get on a boat and go back to right. the South Pacific and, and finds out, I don't have to go. And right. the first woman you see, you're like, I get to come home and and be with women again. Right. You know, I can date. I can have a relationship with somebody. I'm just saying, I've been in a similar situation. And it's like, do you not understand, like, human experience can be varied? For instance, people can kiss each other, and there's not a, a sexual aspect to it. There's not even a romantic aspect to it. Sure. It could just be affection. Hur- hip, hip, hooray. Like, let's drink and sing and have a good time. 
And it just, to see that, it, you know, it doesn't ruin my day. It just makes me shake my head of how politics, and I got into a discussion with somebody online about this, and what I mean by politics, you can mean two different things. What I usually mean is affairs of state. How should state power and government power be used? Which, at the end of the day, means who gets to force people to do what they want? They're bidding. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tax you, throw you in jail if you don't like that behavior. What becomes law? That's what I usually mean by politics. And that's usually what I can't stand. I think that power, being able to tax, of essentially what a state is, is a legal monopoly on violence. Aggressive violence in a given area. They try to maintain it. And throughout history, most states are very predatory. It's people with the guns, people with the swords, people who are the warriors, usually in history teaming up with a priestly class, some religious class. Mm-hmm. And they extract money, revenue from other people. So they maintain a monopoly in a certain area on the planet, and they get their revenue by force. Whereas most other people have to trade for it, have to ask for it. That distinguishes a state, and that's what I usually mean. And I think we deify the people who make those decisions on how that power should be used way too much. We do. Yeah, no doubt. It shouldn't be like the organizing principle of society. Ideally, it should be only used in defense of people's rights. Now, this is a different type of politics, though. But there's another type of politics. Social politics. Right. And I, I'll admit, but I think it's important that we should start making that distinction. Because there are things like cultural politics, office politics, like somebody at church is saying something behind somebody's yeah. back. I'm doing church what politics. the pastor is up to. Yeah, there's like the everyday school politics. Right. That's Wait till it, you have children, right. really. Oh my God. Oh, and did you hear what those parents are allowing their kid to do? You can't go over to their house. Oh, I was a kid once. I heard it. I don't know the perspective as a parent. I'm oh, sure that's it's completely different. <laughs> but this, I think there is a relation. Because the state politics, and I think in many ways, I was talking about this last night with Troy, as more and more people aren't as solidified in their faith, and in, in especially like an organized religion, or it doesn't even have to be a religion. It could be like, it's the old thing... I can't remember the guy's name, but the theory of bowling alone. That there's been a huge drop in the number of bowling clubs and just fraternal organizations. People aren't signing up for civic groups as much. And it, for a while, it could be your community church, church right around the corner in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I think at the turn of the 20th century, which was a big push for why prohibition, alcohol prohibition was passed, your communal meeting place was the tavern. Right. Like, get all your news there. Hang out with the boys after work. Like, and that was where you got your information. And in many ways, we're losing those communal meeting places. I w- a, yeah, I would agree with that. But in a way, we're, we're recreating them virtually. Like, people are creating where they meet online now. Yeah, and it's making it larger. And the more people you get involved with something, the the worse it gets. And then the, the actual uh, politicians... Mm-hmm. 
they're co-opting that into you're either a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian. And it makes it even worse when those groups that just happen, and there will always be different types of groups, different types of people. They may not like each other. But when you add in the element of, oh, and we can win that actual state power, government power, and force those people we don't like. Through your clique. Right. That adds an element of zealotry to it of intensity and emotion to it. Mm-hmm. it's And I've said this before, but it's very tough to have a conversation with somebody when you know it's not really about coming to an understanding. It is about who's going to win yeah. and force you to do something. And I think when that's in the background of a lot of our conversations... <laughs> you might as well not even start the conversation. Right. Right. It gets uh, intense. And what happens is because these issues are so intense... Because certain things do need to change. Like, when you hear the stories of what Harvey Weinstein was doing, that shouldn't go on. No, definitely not. It it should have been put to an end far before it came out. So, and I will, I'm but than, you can't take that and co-opt that into this entire movement that every single man in a position of authority is out raping and molesting women. Right. And if they say, hey, that's a nice dress you have on today. Uh, I mean, there are some very attractive women that work here at the studio. Right. And if you say, hey, you know, Jane Smith, you look nice today. Right. That's that's not me, too. Right. I mean, you don't say something. Well, Would, and also, I Joey think, sexually assaulted me today. He was looking well, at me. Honestly, I think that's most people agree with you, men and women. They They actually do. But I think some people get so radical in whatever position. It doesn't have to be the Me Too movement. It could be something like taxes. It could be like, good Lord, we could talk. I don't want to talk about the abortion issue. Uh, but I'd say I'd but both my sides get very radical sure. on that issue. Um, and I understand why. But there's, there are a lot of groups that you become a zealot. You become dogmatic in your position. And it colors the way you view the world in almost every way. So you take an iconic moment where it's a vast celebration going on in the streets after winning the biggest war in human history. Right. And But your first thought is, oh, look at that sexual assault that took place. Yeah. And that's just, that's asinine, man. It is. I mean, it really is. I mean, at it, it, some point, and I don't know if there's a, a technical term for this, but people need to just lighten up a little bit. Right. I mean, consider the situation, you know, and, hey, back off. He, this isn't just some dude walking down the road one day and grabs some woman and forces himself on her. That would be completely different. Right. Like you said, in the picture. Everybody's celebrating. Everybody's jumping down and cheering. I I have I know I have been kissed and kissed people at like your story at right. football games before. Right. I mean it just happens because people are happy, men and women, and I'm not gay. <laughs> right. But I mean it's just like you're just so happy. It's just like yeah, like no, it's this exuberance. It's an explosion of emotions, is what it is. Yeah. And yeah, it, what I'm worried about is we are becoming too ideological. And maybe the reason is, and we're kind of getting to the answer of why there's so many dogmatic ideologues these days, is because...
because I think the world is changing so quickly, in particular how we communicate with one another, but also other things going on, like the West having to engage in this sort of weird mixing of cultures with with the Middle East, with China. Like, we're all very connected, not just like, oh, we get to share cat videos and cute dog videos, or even hang out with our fellow Americans and our political parties. No, you now have Russians online and the Chinese online and people from all over the world. And, you know, it doesn't mean it's always bad. Sometimes you meet somebody from Russia or China or whatever, and from even Iran. I've met people that have come from Iran to this country, and they're they're good people all over the world, but cultures are different. And because all of this is happening at such a vast pace, and the world seems to be changing very swiftly, and there is an immense lack of trust in the institutions that got us here, whether you're talking about government, or ask people, even believers, how much trust do you have in, like you're a Catholic, how much trust do you have in the hierarchy of the Catholic Roman Catholic Church? I saw mm-hmm. a report that was implicating Baptist congregations on the same sort of abuse. Yeah, they got, they got a mess on their hands, too. So it's like, I mean, and I know a lot of believers that don't go to, you know, they aren't big fans of organized religion. The point is, because there's so much change, it's tumultuous. And so what do a lot of people do when it's difficult to understand what's happening to the world in your situation? You grab on to an easy answer. And you hold tight. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because something happened to you. Maybe you were sexually assaulted. Maybe you were raped. And this is something that you wish had never happened to you and you're trying to deal with it. Maybe you know somebody. So this makes you more sensitive to the topic. And it could be all sorts of different issues. But it's sometimes we hold too tight. Way too tight way too rigidly, and it doesn't leave room for people to realize, hey, human experience is very messy. Human experience, especially when you're looking at the past and past icons, there, yeah. there's context to things. But see, my, my question to you would be, though, why is it that, and I, th- I think you've got an excellent point there, but why do people grab on to that one thing and then allow that one thing become the sole purpose of their existence. That is their entire makeup of, of their personhood. You know, because like with me with abortion, that's a non-starter. You might as don't even talk right. to me about that. I right. mean, that's just, uh, well, I, I mean, well, I can have a conversation about it, but I mean, it's... No, and, no, you can have your position, and people can, I think, even if you disagree, Don't enter a conversation thinking you're going to make me change my mind, because right. you're not. Exactly. But that I don't hold on to that so much that if I ever hear somebody say, well, you know, I, you know, I don't know, first trimester, I, I, you know, morning after pill, that... I'm not going to shun you right. and condemn you and say you know you're an evil person. Well, and it's also not what you, it's not what you talk about all the time. I'll put I'll I'll be honest. Looking in the mirror, I don't have a wife and kids. Which, if I did, I would hope that would be a major compass in my life. That would give my life a lot of meaning and purpose. I need to provide for them. I need to continue to grow myself and see how they grow. It orients you when you have that grounding. Other people get oriented and grounded in faith. 
And I think a lot of people, especially my age, who maybe don't have, they don't go to church a lot, whether you believe or don't believe, they don't go to church a lot. They don't go to some civic group. They don't participate in some sports league. They don't have a family, really. They've got a few friends. They have their taste. They like watching wrestling and like watching Marvel movies. They mm-hmm. might like reading certain types of books. But they want to they belong to something. And I think uh, politics, especially the way politics is talked about, and I'm talking about politics that has to do with what the government should do, mixed with politics and like it's a culture war, and we're 10,000, 5,000 people strong on social media... Yeah. People that don't have much integration in their life and don't have that anchor that gives them purpose and meaning will latch on to that very quickly. I, I think that is a that's a wonderful, wonderful point. When you don't have a real sense of belonging, you can attach yourself to a movement. And then I guess you're right. You you can get on the Facebook and you can you can, you know, share a post and say, Yep, see there's a hunt there's a million point six that, that's see the world the same way I do. I'm part of this great group. Let's take the most extreme example. This woman from Alabama who joined ISIS. Yeah. And I believe they supposed to come back. And I believe they killed her child. I hadn't heard they killed her child. I think I read that. I might be wrong. It's been a long day, folks. But if you look at people who went, like people from the West, not people who were there in Iraq and Syria, but people mm-hmm. who came from Europe and the United States and went to join ISIS, it's like, why in the world would you ever do that? In many cases, it is people who are utterly lacking in any meaning and purpose in their life. Right. Often, who did ISIS go after to recruit? Drug addicts. Mm-hmm. People that were had personality disorders. You're hopeless at that despairing point. Despairing people. Right. Who are ripe for any sort of malevolent force to come along and go, we'll give you meaning in life. Just join us and always follow our cause. And it can happen in the most extreme, essentially a death cult like ISIS. Yeah. Or it could be... Or like the gang... Uh, issue that yeah. we know about in this Gangs, country. Yeah. It's at a much not near as bad as ISIS, but it's still the same thing. And, and that and that same, you know, of course, I would prefer somebody to be, if somebody wants to be obsessed with hashtag me too and that's all they do all day, it's probably what you shouldn't do all day. And that's obviously better than joining ISIS or a gang or even a, like a lot of political parties or all sorts of organizations. Like, don't join the Flat Earther Club, in my opinion. Probably not wise, but hey, if it's up to you, I mean, as long as you're not hurting anybody, it really doesn't bother me. Yeah. But if, if is that really what's going to give your life a full integration, meaning, and purpose? And again, I'm saying this from my own experience. And in my own experience, having dealt with very tragic things, politics is a piss-poor replacement for things that actually give you meaning in life, which it, will always be your faith and which will always be your family and friends that are closest to you. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I don't know if you would say it's necessarily the meaning of life, but one, the thing that gives you fulfillment is having someone to love. Yeah. And we, we mix that up with being loved. Uh, you know, young, young girls have babies because they want a little baby to love them because we love our parents. Right. And then you figure out when that baby's born, that baby doesn't love you. 
that baby is 100% dependent on you. You know, and it's a hassle. And then people get upset. They're like, man, you ain't nothing but a pain in the neck. Yes, they are. Because you can't even talk. (laughs) It takes a long time for the roles to reverse. Right. You have something that you can apply your love to, that object. That's why God created man. He didn't need man. That's the only way he could show that attribute of God is love is to have an object to bestow that love on. Well, you reminded me of a book I was reading this weekend. But that's another conversation for another day. And to be clear, I'm not uh, pointing the finger at any particular group. Maybe these vandals who messed with this statue were just making a joke. But uh, I see a lot of zealotry and dogmatism in our politics these days, whether it's arguments over how the government should be used or how we should change our culture. And I don't think it'll serve us well in the long run, but we shall see. We gotta hit this break though. Joey Clark. Clark. Oh, welcome back. Man, the off-air conversation was juicy. <laughs> I don't know if Montgomery's ready for that. It was just, it's a fascinating I'm, I'm zealous about that. <laughs> no, and I think that's fine. I'll just, I'll let people in, not on the exact conversation we're having, but if you're willing to have a hell of a weekend, put you in a weird headspace, folks, read uh, Carl Jung's Answer to Joe. It's fascinating. Book. I think I'm going to get that. Fascinating, yeah, but it. it's tough. Like, you got to have your Google machine right next to you, because he's using all sorts of Latin terms and the Greek and... Dude, I speak Latin. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That's the native tongue of Pamela. <laughs> Did you not know that? Well, a big theme of that book is where does evil come from? That's that's a big question. And that is a big question. And, like, I was raised Roman Catholic, and a big part of what evil comes from was, number one, we have free will. And we have the room to make our decisions right or wrong. Mm. Or hell is literally the absence of God's love. Um, and, like, it's depicted in Dante's Inferno that the final circle of hell is actually ice. And the greatest traitors, like Judas, is encased in ice up to his neck. And But the reason it's icy on that final circle of hell is because Satan is constantly flapping his own wings, trying to display his power. But that very display of power and wanting his own kingdom traps him. It is literally bad faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it it's fascinating. But... A big part of, I think, where evil comes from 
And I heard uh, Jordan Peterson say this, and he almost described my trajectory, speaking politically, in a few sentences. I started out very idealistic, like most young people do. You're very idealistic. You think most other people are. And I also grew up in a pretty sound, secure household with a great family, good upbringing, good education, all sorts of financial opportunities. Life, I am blessed. In many ways, I've been privileged. Not as much as some, but more than others, certainly. I would never deny that. So I kind of had this mentality that you can talk to everybody. Like, at least, even if you disagree, people are good, generally. And I still believe that to a degree. But the more I started to consume political news and meet people in politics and just experience the world, that idealism starts to fall apart. That innocence yeah. starts to go away. Sure. And what do a lot of people do, and I, I've always you know, been a smartass, too, so I just went headlong into cynicism. Yeah, you skipped the realistic. Yeah. The realist, you, you skip because in general, I think we do go from an ide- ideologue to uh, someone who is a little more realistic. Well, it's the and, great and, George Carlin line. He said, scratch a cynic and you'll find a disappointed idealist. Yeah. And that was me. And as Jordan Peterson put it, when you become a cynic, you think you're smarter. And in a way, you are. Because people are out there who are evil, who are malevolent, who don't have good intentions for you, who are trying to con you, who are trying to draft you into their club for their purposes. So if you're cynical about everybody, you are a little bit wiser because you'll pick up on that malevolence. But then it also gives you a blind spot. And he said the step away from being the idealist who's then disappointed and becomes a cynic, you grow out of being a cynic when you start to realize, okay, yes, people are malevolent. People are bad. People can lie, cheat, steal. They can hurt you in all sorts of different ways, in ways you never thought you could be hurt when you were an idealist. But then you grow up and you realize, the way I put it, the tyrant in you is the tyrant in me. You also possess that malevolence. You have the capability of doing horrible things to other people. Mm -hmm. Even if you have a properly formed conscience, like I was taught, you, if you're pushed enough, could be a very evil person. The way a lot of people have put it is like, we all understand, what did we start with? World War II and that iconic photo of the celebration after the surrender. We all know about World War II, like we think we do. Some people know more than others about the causes. Mm -hmm. But I think too often people go, oh, Hitler was just this crazy evil guy. And the people who supported him and joined the Nazi party were just these crazy evil people. Yeah, that's discounting a whole lot when you take that (laughs) that view. Yes, it is. Is that it was just the ripe sort of certain circumstances. Economic disarray. In their case, massive hyperinflation, where the economy wasn't working. So people are desperate. They don't even know how to make ends meet. And you have somebody coming along, sort of telling you and playing into the old myths of the past you were maybe taught as a kid. And so the big question is, if you're in Germany, as that economy's falling to shambles and the country's going to hell... How many of you would have been on the side of the resistance? How many of you would have been 
part of the Nazi party. How many of you... The Messiah. I mean, he was the savior of the German people. Well, and how many of you would have been a guard at a concentration camp? And the toughest answer is, in the right sort of hellish, horrible circumstances, most people do the wrong thing. Because we're all capable of that. But then the beautiful part is the balance. Is that once you realize you are capable of immense evil, some more than others, of course, there is true, like, people that are psychopaths. Like the... I just was reminded of watching these debates. The uh, the Texas, like, shooter in the 60s. He went up to some, like, bell tower church. Yeah. And he was just shooting people. Jimmy Hendrix wrote a song about it. He, I mean, he literally had a brain tumor. Like, he knew he was going nuts. And what led him to do that was the brain tumor. And he couldn't stop himself. Mm-hmm. So there are cases of, like, okay, that guy's brain just doesn't work correctly. It doesn't work like no, most people's brains. But even somebody who, by all definitions is normal has the capacity to do terrible things because we've seen it time and time again throughout human history yeah and and i think we have an idea and which i know i know we do we all have an idea of well i would never do that right i would definitely do this until the opportunity presents itself to you you don't know what in the world you're gonna do it's kind of like people looking at uh you know tiger woods like how dare you cheat on your wife and yes in principle what an a-hole for cheating on his lovely wife and with kids at home. But then, They're basing that on her looks, though. Well, some are, but it's an old Bill Burr joke. Yeah, it's easy for you to say that when you're the guy working the forklift at Home Depot. But right. Tiger Woods had people, women, throwing, him, throwing themselves at him at almost every turn. He's still, the right thing is don't do it. Correct. Yes, and no, I'm not. I would never excuse but that. But who are you if you're not in that situation to know exactly what you would do? Well, and who are you to know what goes on when they close their doors and go inside the house? Right. I don't care if you're a, a celebrity or a freaking radio host or an yeah. air conditioned man. Right. When you get inside and you can look just like the perfect couple and be both beautiful and have everything going for you but by damn when you shut those doors and you go inside your house everything changes it's it's a difference it's something you've not experienced but in marriage it's different i mean it's like walking around naked in front of each other they mm-hmm. ain't nothing you're holding back there's nothing you're you keeping live through yourself. tragedy you live through and sickness you live through and, everything and moments so, of weakness yeah you know, as a couple, and I'm sure even like people that live together and all that that are, you know, that committed, have the same uh, things that they go through. But it's different when you're in front of people than when you're behind, you know, the curtain, as as you might say. And when you're alone and the way that you really talk to your wife or the way she really talks to you. And so, you know, I, I try to stay away from making judgments on things like that, even from people that I know, I'm right. like, "Hey, dude, right? You know, knock yourself out or honey bun. You know, I'm not going to judge. I don't agree with it. And if you, you know. want my advice, don't do that. Yeah, but and then that's the extra level of knowledge when you realize that you have the capacity for evil just as much as the next person, but also the capacity to rise above that and do the right thing. It like today with Bernie Sanders' announcement." Almost every part of me, on a personal level, 
I feel like it attacks the things I believe in, what he thinks, on a just a practical level of like the plans he would have the American national government do for the we're going to have an economy that works for everybody, a political process and economy that works for all. I just think it's it's wrong. Like I don't know if it'll work very well. But I'm. Even though my emotional reaction is like yell and scream and go to hell with Bernie Sanders, if I see somebody's got to feel the burn sticker or they're a fan, I'm not immediately going to jump to that person's evil. That person's bad. Yeah, great friend of mine is a big Bernie supporter. Right. Drove all the way up there to help on his campaign right. in New Hampshire last year. I'm like, Tom, you have lost your mind. He is a kook. <laughs> no, no, you're wrong. And and we have great discussions and right. we talk, but we can still be friendly and I don't judge him. I don't he's not an idiot. I'm no. not gonna tell you what he does, but I assure you he's, he's not an man. idiot. Right. He just has a different philosophy. He's he's stuck in that idealistic mm-hmm. area and and that's fine we need some of those around and what we need to learn though is that people don't just think differently they have different temperaments like it's a just an aspect of your person if you're conservative or if you're liberal though if you want to use those words you're conservative or progressive you're on the left or the right it may be because you really thought about it and you've, you've thought it through logically, rationally, this is what I think is best. Or it might be, that's how you were raised. And It might be, this is actually how The latter you, more than the former. It might be your very temperament. Like, this is just how you are. Like, if a shrink kind of did an assessment of what your personality's like, could be that's what your personality's like. So you tend to be more towards the right wing or the left wing. Yeah. Or it is because of how you were raised, you were... That much opposed to your parents that you're going to be the opposite just to spite them. (laughs) Right. You know, or your circle of influence. There's all kind of reasons, you know, you can, that develop your your worldview. But this brings us back to the dogmatism. The dogmatism, the zealots leave no room for that discussion of how complicated this crap is. Yeah. And also because there is an actual battle for state power already starting in 2019 that will culminate in 2020, of course people get worked up. It reminds me of the the call that we talked about this weekend where that woman just laid into you and just said, Joey, you've just got to get on board. I don't Mm -hmm. care. You don't have to believe what he says, but you've got to get on board because Donald Trump's a Republican and he's the one you've got to get behind you. You have got to be behind him 100%. You're right. I want to see what this cat's going to do before I make a judgment on him. Nope, can't do that. Cannot do that. (laughs) People get worked up. I get it. And you get into the cause, and you're really down with the cause, and you feel passionate about it. But I'm trying to take that step back of, not number one, not being as cynical as I've been, and trying to see the good, like... If you had to really push me on what's good about Bernie Sanders, I'm like, well, I'm glad he didn't vote for the Iraq War. He didn't. He was right. And that I think that was the correct decision. When you want to have the whole health care system essentially administered by the government, I think you're wrong. Yeah, that's bad. I just think you're wrong. I don't I'm not even questioning your if you really believe that's the best way to fairly serve the poor and the middle class, okay, fine. I have to grant that to you. I can't be in your head. But I don't think you're, it's going to work out very well. 
Especially in the long run, yeah. I don't think it's going to well, work. And out some of well. some things like that, you can prove. You can you can show evidence. It, well, it has not worked anywhere else. I mean, you don't fly from here to Canada to get a medical treatment. Right. And you might well, come from Canada here. Well, but then there was a the story of Rand Paul flying to Canada, but they're like. Yeah, he's going to a private hospital and paying out of pocket with his own money for a particular surgery. Exactly. So. It's not government health care. Right. So there are, you know, they shut their hospitals down for two weeks but, one time. But it's very difficult in that if think about you're running for president and you're trying to rally the troops around you and your cause and your campaign. You can't speak like that in this measure. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. Let's work together. No. You got to rally the troops. You got to be like, we're building that wall. We're building that. The wall just got ten feet taller, baby. Yeah. Oh, oh we're gonna make this society fair. The, these billionaires don't know anything about this country. They're exploiting the people in this country. They're exploiting you, and I'm gonna make this system fair for you. Like mm-hmm. you have to speak in these terms that rally. The, it's built into the system to not have nuanced, compassionate conversations. It's just built in. Because it's not about winning the the debate. It's about winning. It doesn't get ratings. It doesn't generate a whole lot of speed. Everybody would look and say, you know, either one of these guys would be okay. You know, at least they're willing to work. No, you can't have it that way because you don't get any donations. You, you, You don't win that way. No, and I'm just tired. I don't want the politicians to be my champion. I don't want them to offer me security or redefine every inequity or inequality in the society, and this is how we get just... No, I want you to leave me alone at the end of the day. And I'm not talking about our local communities. I'm talking about these national politicians that have all these plans to reshape the world. If you give somebody their freedom, they'll follow you forever. Especially if you've got three dragons with you. You still got the hots for Daenerys. You've been watching too much Game of Thrones. I do. She is hot. Yeah. When she comes out of the fire and she's unscathed. Woo! Great character. I need Great to go character. be alone in my room for a little bit. <laughs> Thank you for joining You'll me tonight. will be more tomorrow, Joe. <laughs> I'll be back tomorrow, folks. Thank you for listening. Joey Clark.